This Isaiah passage we're going to look at for a few moments. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just take this passage and just for a few moments, just kind of turn it around a couple times. Just look at it from a few perspectives, some vantage points, and just see where this takes us more specifically, um, where it takes us individually, and then where it takes us collectively as a church. So if you need a Bible, didn't get one, raise your hand until you see an usher and just make sure you get one to follow along. Isaiah is one of the prophets. We've looked at this uh, period of time. The last few months we have stayed in the prophets and we are continuing in that again this morning. Isaiah wrote during a relatively long period of time, at least the book covers a long period of time. And this particular passage, chapter 11, would love to see how a passage, a prophetic voice that was spoken 25, 2600 years ago might be relevant for us today. Isaiah spoke into a time with the Israelite people where they were experiencing a significant level of frustration concerning their self-identity. Who they were in the Middle East compared to all of the other powers and nations and countries. Their kings had not lived up to their hopes. Their leaders had not brought about for them that which they thought was to come. They kept referring back to the leaders they remembered. David. Solomon. And yet even those individuals, when you look at their stories, there are a lot of skeletons in the closet that came out of the closet about their journey and who they were. So even the best of their leaders carried with them some pieces of the story that left them wondering, will God ever help us be who we had hoped we would become? To a great extent, the people had lost some of the hope that was spoken of last week when we speak about this Advent season in anticipation. And the movement during this Advent season is a movement that starts with hope, builds on that, and then talks about peace. It certainly was something that was relevant for the people who are hearing Isaiah's words. The powers that had arisen up both from the south and the north and certainly to the east as well were imposing themselves on the Israelites. And the leadership, the kings, just was not working out the way that many of the people anticipated. Isaiah speaks. And into this time and into this tension offers what appears to be a powerful word of hope. Starts off in chapter 11, verse 1, as you just heard, that a sprout will come forth from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And it appeared as if the kingly line, at least the good kings, that this was dead. It was producing nothing. And Isaiah says, 
out of this, what appears to be death, something that is producing nothing at all will come a sprout. And out of the roots will come a branch that will produce fruit. Pay attention. Look at what's taking place. God's at work. Out of this is going to come something that's alive. And the proclamation is this. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And then we have this wonderful description that kind of extrapolates what that means. It will be a spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and power or might. A spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. This one will delight in the fear of the Lord. Won't make judgments simply based on what he sees with his eyes. Won't make decisions just on hearsay. What he hears with his ears. Rather, the judgments concerning the needy will be based on righteousness. And the decisions that are made for the poor of the earth will be made on justice. For he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips will slay the enemies. Righteousness will be worn like a belt and, and faithfulness will be the sash that he wears across his waist. And then there is an interesting description here. A description that is filled with Animals, wolves and sheep, oh my, oh my. The animals that dwell together, a wolf and a sheep will live together. A leopard and a goat will lie down together. A calf and a lion and a yearling will feed together. And as you heard just a few moments ago, a child will lead them. Cows and bears... Not feeding on one another, but feeding together. And their children or offspring lying down together. The lion? The lion will feast on straw just like the ox. This obviously, at least it seems to me, hasn't come yet. I go to the zoo. They don't put those animals in the same pen. They keep them separate. You go look at the goats in one place and you look at the leopards in another place. And when it comes feeding time, it's really wise to keep the cows away from the lions and the tigers. This hasn't happened yet. Something for which we hope, for which we long. God, is this even possible? I can't hardly imagine that this could take place given what I know about the world in which I live. This last week, we mourned the death of um, an amazing world leader, Nelson Mandela. Led South Africa through a time of repair, reconciliation, renewal. Did some amazing things. He spoke out against the powers that be and was thrown into prison. For years, was kept in prison and 
the country and the culture began to change, and when he was released within a short period of time, he was elevated to a very significant place of power. And in that place, he began to not lord it over those who had been his captors, not punish and push down those who had been power before, but put together with Desmond Tutu the councils of reconciliation, giving opportunity to peop- for people to tell their stories, for the stories to be heard, to validate who we are, take ownership for our history, and then to bring about reconciliation. Really an amazing model. It's been talked about around the globe in so many circles. For me, I think one of the things that's essential this morning when we talk about peace is that we have to at the same time talk about power. Power is a gift. God has entrusted us with amazing power. The power to make, the power to create, the power to make meaning of what we do in the world in which we live. What we do with that power has dramatic consequences, and we can use that power in a variety of ways. We can use power to crush others, to take away their choices, so that if we push others down, it at least initially appears that we have more power. We garner more control. We have stronger influence. We can demand more. In that sense, power becomes what's sometimes described as a zero-sum game. What you lose, I gain, if I'm the one that's pushing down and oppressing someone else. But that's not the only way to use power, not the only type of power that we see in the world around us. We have a number in our congregation who are teachers, who pass knowledge on to other people. And it's certainly true that knowledge is power. Knowledge educates. Knowledge opens us up to new possibilities. Knowledge can point out to us the choices that we have, the opportunities that are in front of us. When a teacher imparts knowledge to someone else, it doesn't diminish the power of the teacher, and yet it does enhance the power of the one who's taught. It's like this growth takes place. The capacity for choice gets bigger. The opportunities expand. It is a way by which someone who has power sees inside of someone else the image of God and allows that image to come forth in new ways. It's power used well. Power used correctly. Power that allows you as the image bearer of Christ to come into that image in a fresh new way. Not too long ago, a um, business magazine here in our country put out a list of the 72 most powerful people. It's an interesting list. The list was based on Um, sphere of influence 
and ability to control resources. The person at the top of the list, I don't know if it would be what you would guess or not, but the person at the top of the list was Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia. Second on the list was Barack Obama, president of the United States. Third on the list was Xi Jinping, I think is how you pronounce his name, Jinping, I think is it. And he is the general secretary of the Communist Party in China. Fourth on the list is the only religious leader, Pope Francis. I looked through the list, the long list of 72 people, to see who among them I knew. I mean, I, didn't, I don't know any of them like no, but I, like if I even recognize their name at all. And there weren't very many that I really knew anything about. Yet these are the 72 most powerful people in the world. And granted, they have all kinds of influence, changing policies and affecting large groups of people. And I understand that that's how that gets judged. But I tried to think for a few moments of one practical way today that their power changed my day. I have no doubt that they've influenced some things. They've influenced systems and markets and those kinds of things. But I was trying to think of how my day was going to be any different today than it was yesterday because of these 72 individuals. It was really hard. Other than in some philosophical ways. I find that today, I am far more influenced by you than Vladimir Putin. I, this morning, was far more influenced in terms of the peace of my spirit and I'm sorry to call her name out, but this morning by a hug that came from Summer Caffarella than anything Barack Obama did for my day today. It is for us an understanding that God has placed within you, within you and within me the opportunity to make a dramatic difference in other people's lives and the peace that others experience. And, and here's what I'd like to contend about Nelson Mandela. What I've read and what I've heard. That there was not some dramatic change that took place when he got out of prison and moved into power. The decisions, the approach the understanding that he had about the world and about power and about peace were settled long before he was released from prison. He had to deal with being imprisoned and the hold that captors had over him, the injustice that existed, the long hours of contemplation of what would take place when the prison doors might open if they ever did open. I know that there are some people this morning who are imprisoned. Imprisoned by chains that have 
bound you for a variety of reasons. Choices of others, choices of yourself, circumstances, situations that make it feel like there are some chains that keep you in places that you would rather not be. I would just suggest, much like was modeled for us, a person like Mandela, that it's in those places that decisions get made about who we serve, where we place our trust, what we think about God, what we think about ourselves, and what we think about others. I think the prison came down long before Nelson Mandela got out of prison. There's a wonderful story. Some of you know it well. I'm guessing that some of us don't. It's a story that took place in the early 60s. I really didn't come to know about it until I was in college in the 70s. But in the early 60s, Don Richardson, with his wife and his young child, moved to Papua New Guinea, the Indonesia portion of that. I was particularly interested in this story because, as you know, my uncle served as a missionary in Papua New Guinea in about the same time. He, not my uncle, but Don went to live with the Sawi uh, tribe. A group of tribes in that area, very, um, very violent tribes, viewed as cannibalistic because of some of their practices. He went, and not just for a quick visit, went to take up residence. Went to learn their language first, to understand their culture, and then somewhere to find the opportunity to possibly share the good news. In the process, he found that the language was an incredibly difficult language. I'm told that each verb has 19 different tenses to it. I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds as formidable as that box does right there. He, after he learned the language, became very good at the language, began to try and share the good news of the gospel but not fully understanding their culture and realizing the value that they placed on treachery, fooling your enemy, tricking your opponent, was stunned as he shared the gospel story that for this tribe, the hero of the story was Judas. His trickery and betrayal fit so closely with their culture that they celebrated what Judas had done. Don incredibly discouraged. And also fearing a bit for the safety of his family because the violence was escalating. Was contemplating leaving. And though they were violent to one another, they had come to appreciate Don and his family and they didn't want him to leave. And so one tribe initiated an effort of peace toward the other two tribes. And deeply embedded in their culture was a peace process. He tells in writing this story of standing on the porch of his hut and watching in a large field, as I recall, the three tribes in different areas, yelling to one another and talking to one another, And then, to his amazement, 
he saw some children being exchanged between tribes. And then in a shocking moment, a gentleman ran across the field with his little child, infant, baby boy and handed him across to his arch foe of another tribe and turned around and walked away. In the culture, a man who would entrust me with his child is a man I can trust. Apart from what you might think of that ritual, Don saw in that a wonderful opportunity to explain the Incarnation, where God, having listened and watched as God's people turn their back and move in other directions and don't express love but instead express hatred toward God, offers God's only begotten Son. Described in that culture in New Guinea as the peace child. The peace child. The one who had all the power. Uses that power to call out from within the depths of God's creation. God's image. The one with all the power leaves the power behind and takes on human flesh still has enormous power, but uses that power in ways that doesn't detract from others or destroy others, but instead gives others opportunity and choice. And lest you think that this issue about power and peace is all about those who are making decisions in chambers of parliament or congress, or in the places where kings gather their councils together, or in state legislatures, or in Camp David talks. I am not minimizing the importance of those things, but I'm telling you that where it starts is in here. With you and with me, changing one life at a time, I think it is hopeful that someday the leopard and the goat might lie down together. I don't know if there is wonderful animal imagery here that talks about country working alongside of country. So often countries are labeled by particular animals and was back then and it is still today. I don't know if that's the reference, but I know that that never happens until it begins to happen within the people of those countries and the cultures they represent. It never happens until within me I allow God's Spirit to reign and I allow the power that God has entrusted to me to be used in ways that honor the creation and bless others. It is... What builds on hope leads to peace, results in joy, 
and is an expression of God's love. It's the place to which we are called to let God transform this so that one relationship at a time God might transform my world. Peace. We can't talk about peace without talking about power. And when we talk about power, we need to begin to understand the incredible power God has entrusted to each one of us. No matter your situation, no matter your prison, no matter your chains, no matter your circumstances. Today, God calls us to be peacemakers. May we live into that truth and honor God by how we live. Father in heaven, and convinced we underestimate our power. The power of our purchases. The power of our words. The power of our attitudes. The power of our smiles. The power of our hugs. I'm afraid, Lord, that we simply make economic comparisons. Comparisons of position. Each one of us has been placed somewhere to use what you've entrusted us for good. So Paul in the prison makes a difference in the jailer's life and in the life of the jailer's family. Peter goes to the house of the centurion and pronounces a blessing and praise for the Holy Spirit to fill that place. And you, O Lord, modeled for us a life where all you traveled was about a day's journey that you can walk. Every once in a while, a goat, a boat, a donkey would take you places. But still, Lord, within the span of a day's walk, you transform people's lives, holding the power of the universe in your hands. And you used it to bring about peace. What a challenge this season to live into your calling, be change agents, be peacemakers. But it begins with inviting you into our heart and asking that you would bring peace within, Lord. All of the warring parts inside us, all of the ways in which we try and control, all of the pieces that we feel like we can't trust to you or anyone else. This morning, Lord, help us to surrender it. Fill us with your peace. Help us to give ourselves to you. May the universe within change, Lord, so that the world without might be better. 
Thank you, Lord. We praise your name. Amen. I invite the ushers to come and to continue our time of worship.